and welcome to The Current Thing with me, Nick Dixon, where we talk about politics, the culture war, and anything else that comes up. And this is a special extra episode. In addition to our normal guest episodes, I thought we'd do a debrief or reflection on the Richard Tice episode. Now, in future, these will come out closer to the release of the actual episode, but it's just an experiment at this stage. So we're doing it now a bit late because the Richard Tice one was a couple of weeks ago. But the idea is you get these great guests on the podcast and then you're like immediately on to the next one. But there's so much more to discuss. So I thought we'd bring in young Rory, our YouTube clips genius, and also host of the Radical English Gentleman podcast, which he keeps telling me he's going to rename. And it should be really interesting because he's a bit younger than me and apparently only agrees with 30% of my views. It's a bit of an issue there. Uh, he's a libertarian of some kind and apparently <laughs> pro-immigration. So he's like our resident lib. I think lib child would be a bit strong, but he's a bit of a lib. So thanks for doing this, Rory. And do you want to briefly introduce yourself? Well, thanks for being here. I really do appreciate the opportunity. Lovely introduction there. Um, yeah, my name's Rory, 19 years old. I run the Radical English Gentleman podcast where I get people from all different walks of life, all different ages, all different political views, and we just shoot the shit. We often drink and we talk about current events, culture, and so much more. You can tell, good intro, but you can tell he's young because he immediately swore in the intro. Oh, really? He didn't say his surname, which is Jacobs, if anyone needs to know that. And, um, and yeah, you've got your own podcast, which is cool. And so you're very different to me. You're, you're a libertarian. We can get into that later. But, but you said you agreed with me on, what, 30%? Was that right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I agree with you on some things. It's just, you know, you've got your standard immigration. Um, agree with some of, disagree with a lot of the rhetoric. Um, and <laughs> my rhetoric? The, <laughs> what's wrong with my... Make it sound like <laughs> I'm a Nazi or something. I disagree with... I want to disavow Nick's rhetoric. Yeah. <laughs> no, just like as in... Just, um, I've heard you speak about Andrew Tate a lot, and I think you've got quite a lot of hypocrisy with what you say about that. Um, and yeah, I think I'm very against kind of trying to fit in a box. That's my whole brand. So, like, mm. I disagree, and I feel like you do mold the kind of somewhat classic right wing um, viewpoints, if you know. What That's I mean. so funny. The young generation, they're straight in with, like, you know, you let them on your podcast and they're like <laughs> insulting you within seconds. You're hypocr- <laughs> hypocritical about Tate. Did you listen to that week? Did you, did you listen to the weekly skeptic where I had a half an hour debate with Toby about Tate? Oh, really? No, I haven't actually. All your questions will be answered in that episode. It's called Freed Top G, that episode. Freed with a D, Top G. And that's um, everything's answered in that. Um, so, Rory, we we're going to talk about the Richard Tice episode. And it was a great episode. It's doing really well. And your clips are doing very well. So Roy does the clips on YouTube, especially the shorts are amazing. He's like a genius at the shorts. And, uh, and they're doing really well. The immigration one hit like 20K. So people are obviously concerned about that. But some people say in the comments like, oh, Tice is not charismatic enough. I think he is charismatic. And, I th- and he was a good guy as well. I got this thing where I judge posh people where I just think they're not gonna, we're not going to connect because I've got this weird class prejudice. Uh, whereas actually, he's just a super nice guy. It was really easy to book as well because... You can tell a lot about people by how hard or easy they are to book. Like I tried to book one guy recently. He said he'd do it, but you couldn't pin him down on the time. Then he asked me to get on GB News, and, and it, it just never, it just fell through. And he, it's not like he was a massive guy. He had like fewer followers than me. And you're like, why is this so hard to book this guy? And why is he already asking me for an opportunity? So you learn a lot. Comics are a nightmare, and just like, well, I'll have to think about it. And they're, they're worried about the culture war. Maybe that's fair enough, because I'll probably get cancelled. Whereas Tice was just, bang, yeah, let's do it. And it was just done. And, he, and that kind of makes sense because he talks about competence a lot. And mm. he did seem a very competent guy. What was your impression of him overall? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And that's like profound he says that because, you know, he's a busy man. He runs a massive business. He's, he's got a show on Talk TV. You know, he goes on GB News. Like, he's a busy man. So that definitely shows a lot, I think. Um, and, yeah, my view on the episode, I thought it was a cracking episode. 
Um, it outlined very well, you know, what Richard Tice is about, the competency of him, what a reform about. And he laid out everything so direct. And that's one thing I really love about Richard Tice. Even though I disagree with him on so much, so many issues, he's so straightforward. He says, you know, we got an energy crisis. This is how we're going to solve it. We got an NHS crisis. This is how we're going to solve it. We got, you know, an immigration crisis. This is how we're going to solve it. It's so direct, you know, train and retain, make work pay. Um, get the job done, stop the boats, no matter what it is, it's clear, it's concise, and you know exactly what they think. But then when you look at Labour politicians, the Tories, it's all, you know, well, we might do this, we might do that, we're, you know, we're going to make the economy great. What what the hell does that mean? But Richard Tice, um, he, he was just so direct. And the fact that a party leader who is, um, you know, head of a party that is you could say third biggest in the UK is going on independent podcasts, shooting the shit, saying what he thinks, saying exactly what he would do. I mean, when do you have that in modern day politics? And for that, I've got, you know, so much respect. And it was a brilliantly interviewed uh, podcast with great questions as well. Thanks, mate. You've got to get the um, brown nose and bit in. Yeah, it, it, he, um, <laughs> I appreciate it. He, um, are they really the third biggest party? Is that, uh, I mean, kind of, because I mean... you, you know, you've got Lib Dem, SNP, but like in a lot of areas, it's, yeah, yeah, kinda. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Yeah. So, you would you vote as a as a young person? Would you consider voting for them? No, no. Really? <laughs> like, great interview, great guy. He's nailing all the issues. Would you vote for? No. Nah, what are you talking about, mate? Well, but yeah, can well, I just say quickly, in case in case we put this out on video and anyone's viewing it, Rory looks like a skinhead. And for the audio people, he's literally got a skinhead, and he's gone with the polo shirt as well. In case he didn't look enough like a proud boy. He's wearing the, the classic polo shirt of, the, of, of, of every young skinhead thug. But it's a good look. It's a good aesthetic. But you have to explain to people, presumably, that you're not an actual Nazi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I get it a lot. Like, I, um, I famously went out on Halloween, right? And just, I wasn't wearing a costume. Everyone was wearing a costume in the club. And had three people come up to me and said, are you dressed up as a Nazi? And I was like, oh, dear me. Um, I, so your yeah, normal look yeah. looks like fancy dress and really misguided fancy dress. The kind yeah. that got Prince Harry in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I've really, um, I've painted myself in a weird way because I'm nationalistic, but I'm not, you know, that right wing. I'm a skinhead, but I'm not obviously a Nazi. So it's easy to kind of put me in a box. But again, the whole point of me is not trying to be put in a box. So it's like, that's why I, you know, I stand up for a lot of kind of right wing traits and stuff. But I'm also quite left wing in a lot of respects. That's why I disagree with you and, you know, Richard on a lot. So... Well, I try not to be in a box either. That's why I like Andrew Tate, even though I'm a Christian and you say I can't. You call it hypocrisy. <laughs> I call it not being in a box, man. Um, all right. I can't remember what my question was to you now. Oh, yes. Would you vote for reform? And you said no way. Interesting. A lot yes. of people were comment. Go on. Yes. So, like, yes, the reason I wouldn't is because someone like Richard Tice, he's got a good outline. But again, it, for me, it boils down to the um, argument of immigration. When I look at immigration of how it will impact jobs, how it will boost the economy, how it will um, help so many aspects. I look at that, and I'm a capitalist, I'm a Christian, and I look at that and go, you know, bring it on. That That's good because the market will decide if someone does well. And also I feel like there's hypocrisy in the argument on the right wing when it comes to immigration. On one hand, immigrants are stealing the jobs of, you know, hardworking Brits. And then on the other hand, they're claiming benefits and they're lazy. So I think w when it comes to the immigration issue, it just loses me every time when right wingers 
espouse anti-immigration sentiment because I'm a libertarian, I'm pro-freedom, so I have no problem with people coming over and doing it. And that's not to say there isn't cultural issues. I admit there's actually many cultural issues. You know, if someone comes from Saudi Arabia, they want to, you know, kill gay people and abuse women and them not have rights. We shouldn't accept that culture. And I'm not for like a social security net and when people come over here, they just have access to everything someone does who paid tax for 10 years. I disagree with that. But what I'm saying is... Uh, as a libertarian and someone who's pro-freedom, that goes to the extremes of immigration. And for people like Richard Tice, when he talks about stopping the boats and all of this, I just look at that and it, it puts me off. And that's the one issue where it's like, if he, di- if he flipped his viewpoint on that, I'd vote for him in seconds. Hmm. So the, yeah, I've heard a lot of libertarians say that, they, that you can be pro-welfare state or immigration, but not both. Because you can't have anyone from anywhere in the world just coming over and getting on a benefit system. It's unsustainable. Mm. But you're saying you're pro the immigration part, but not the welfare state part. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So like if, you know, if someone comes from, I don't know, Nigeria or whatever, and they come over here and they want to work and pay taxes, contribute to the economy, go ahead. I've got no problem with that. But I do have a problem if someone comes over and just like has the same access to a granny who paid taxes for 80 years, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Mm. I'm kind of amazed at your pro-immigration at this point because of obviously the social cultural problems that we're all well aware of. And um, and and also, it doesn't actually work. I was listening to this podcast by Paul uh, with Paul Morland on the Telegraph, and he's a demographics expert. Have you heard of pronatalism? So he was saying that. Um, so we got the birth rate problem, haven't we? Which is massive, mm. and everywhere, loads of places have it. Japan are basically dying out. South Korea are dying out, and he said, "Well, so look, we've got a couple of solutions. We've got immigration as one solution, but it's only short term." So. The immigrants themselves get old. They need services. And also you're taking them from countries that also have low birth rates and won't be able to sustain that. So he said that's a classic short-termist politician's approach. And he said the only and he said Japan's approach, which is anti-immigration, so they have better social cohesion, but they're dying because of a simple lack of numbers. And they can't they ultimately won't be able to sustain their own societies if they keep that up and their own economies. So he or economy in that case. So he's saying the only way is actually a pronatal approach, which means just having loads of kids. He's like, everyone's got to have two or three kids. We need to somehow incentivize that. And that's the only way out of it. So isn't, so what do you think to that floor of immigration that actually it's a kind Ooh. of short-term <laughs> patching up of the, uh, of the economy? Well, I think, yeah, there's some fair arguments there. But as a capitalist, I have no problem with that. And like, I've actually supported what they have in Hungary with family-first policies where you know, if you have three or more kids, you pay zero income tax forever. If you have three or more kids, you get a free $9,000 equivalent car for your family. You know, you have like massive bonuses with tax. They promote marriage, they promote kids. And I, I love all that. I think that's brilliant. And that's actually one thing in the UK where I actually would completely support family first policies. The people who live here, if they want to have a kid, it won't, you know, strip them to death. And also that's the other abortion argument where in Hungary since 2010, when they brought in family first policies, their abortion rates have just plummeted because like it, you know, if you give people economic opportunities to actually have kids and not just be terrified to have a kid, then people will have kids and they will, um, and they will actually like benefit the economy with that. And I think as a Christian country, we should actually promote, you know, marriage and having kids. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And that's many right wing traits that I agree with. But what I see a, li- a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah, hypocrisy on the right is a lot of people promote you know tr- traditional values or family values but then any form of welfare state or support for families they're they're running to the hills and often it's actually only labor who are pushing for like you know universe child credit and like 
um, incentive for people to have families. So that's, yeah, massive thing, I think. Interesting. A few things there is that as a skinhead supporting Orban, you've got to be a bit careful, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the policies of Orban. But I see what you mean, incentivizing birth rate. We absolutely need to do that. And <clears throat> you think about having kids. Someone's put it to me the other day that, well, one reason people don't have kids is because of immigration, because that's, that's causing pressure on services and, and inflation and poverty and all these things. Someone said, put it to me, that's actually one reason people can't have kids is because of immigration. I don't know if you agree with that, but that was another angle. But the other thing I was going to say there is... What would that argument gone. be there, though? If- well, I think it was Leo that said it, so it probably wasn't totally coherent, but it was, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was something to do with immigration putting pressure on services and housing, meaning people can't have kids because they, for example, can't get a house, can't afford services, things like that. I think that's what he was going with. And I suppose wages are pushed down. So that was probably the argument there. But do you, do you think the um, direction of what people attack is the wrong thing? Because why would you attack someone coming over here with little to nothing and potentially making themselves of something instead not, you know, the private sector or whatever, um, or like big multinational corporations not paying their workers or like, you know, P- BlackRock Vanguard. Why don't you attack those people instead of people who are more similar to you? And I think this is one thing there are right-wingers out there who put massive amounts of money into pushing, you know, anti-immigrant sentiment instead of not focusing on the rich elites. And that's one kind of aspect of left-wingers, I think, they got spot on, where they say, you know, the culture war is a distraction from economic disparity. And that's one, like, angle that I think if Labour actually lent into class war, not race war every, you know, two seconds or whatever, they would actually have solidarity with a lot of working class people. Because I think if you speak to the average person up north, they don't realise economically they're very left wing, but it's often, you know, race and immigration that divides. And when those two unite, um, the people who are actually elites and people who are actually affecting their lives will be screwed over from that. Very interesting. Um, I was thinking there when you're talking, because I'm going to get back to Richard Tice's view on immigration in a second, but when you were talking about the cultural being a distraction. I totally disagree with that because I think it's a huge stealth cultural revolution we've undergone. And when the right, when the left says it's a, it's a, you're stoking culture wars or divisive culture wars, I just see that as pure gaslighting. However, I do accept a possibility that someone somewhere higher up in the one percent has, has caused the whole thing as a kind of distraction. Because I, my theory is the one percent always want to distract us from everything because they're just their primary concern is how to hold on to wealth. But um, so I do think that's possible. But then having maybe whoever stoked it, it is, has been stoked. There are there is sex education mm. where nine year olds are being taught absurd things. Sixteen year olds are being told they can mutilate themselves permanently in the name of gender ideology. These things are not an illusion. You know, women's spaces are under threat. Women's sports are about to be destroyed or have been destroyed. Now they're pushing back. So those things aren't a, 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 illusion, a illusion, are they? No, no, I, I agree with you. And there are real. And I'm, I'm, you know, completely anti-woke and I'm, you know, I was in school a few years ago getting taught the nonsense. I was nine, no, 18 in college getting taught, you know, sex doesn't exist. And there's so much nonsense and to act like, you know, these uh, ridiculous woke ideologies don't exist. You're, you're an absolute moron and these are massive issues, you know. But it's also to say that when a left winger says to a right winger, why, you know, how am I going to pay the bills instead of trans kids there is a fair criticism there of and it's almost a blind spot i think for a lot of right wingers and there's people who focus zero on economics but literally only trans kids and there's a certain point where you've got to be like you know hang on who are we actually going to divert our attention to and someone like matt walsh is someone who i really don't like because he every you know every episode he has he bangs on about 
trans kids or trans people and this is a man under covid or whatever who talks about freedom now that isn't to say we should go around mutilated six-year-olds but it's also to say that if you're going to preach freedom you can't say to a consenting adult that they can't undertake surgery and matt walsh has said he thinks you know a physician who uh has a certain procedure for an adult should be arrested and locked up so like wokeness and woke ideology is a real thing and it's terrible and so is the culture war but you also got to be careful not to just become the same thing you're against. That is identity politics and Id- identitarianism. To be fair to Matt Walsh, I'm not sure he, he even pretends to not be authoritarian. He, his Twitter bio says theocratic fascist. And he's partly joking. <laughs> he's partly joking, but he, he, he's, he doesn't mind being authoritarian at, at this point, I don't think. So I don't know if he, there is such a contradiction. Because I, think he, I think he's a basically a moralist sort of, you know, conservative, not a libertarian. So, but I, I, you don't have to like him, but... Um, Though you do make a good point about economics and wokeness, where the, 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 the economic outlook of, well, my generation and younger, anyone millennial and, and Zoomer, and what's yours? Are you Zoomer or Alpha? Um, um, no, I'm absolutely <laughs> <laughs> That's mad. You're, you're, you could even be Alpha, which is, which is scary, because they've started again and they've gone back to A, because oh, Zoomer, I don't know when Zoomer ends. I'm going to check right now. But um, you could be Alpha, which is really scary. But you do, you do, you do make a good point. Because um, economics, of course, is related to wokeness in the way that Steve Bannon sort of talks about these people come. He says, he says of the younger generation, you feudal serfs. He goes, OK, you better dress, you're in better shape. OK, but you don't own anything. You're not going to own anything. And so post-2008 crash, people said, hang on, we're not going to have anything here. And they had mm-hmm. to occupy Wall Street movement and so on. And then that led perhaps to wokeness as a kind of new kind of rebellion, a way of sort of doing something in the world when you feel completely... Uh, what's the word? You kind of detach from things because of because you can't afford anything. So that, that's that's another theory. But let me just check Gen Alpha. This is people born between 2010 and 2025. So maybe you're um, you're what are you Gen Z? Uh, I don't want to do maths live on air. But you'd have to be if you're 19. You must be Gen Z. Yeah. So 2000. Or Z. I keep calling. I keep I keep saying Z and people shout at me just because I've heard it. You know. So it's mid to late 90s and as early as two, 2010s as ending birth years. So, what? Hang on, you're, you. What are you? I'm doing the twenty-three uh, minus. So, well, I'm two thousand. I'm born two thousand and three, and I'm nineteen. Yeah, yeah. So you're smack in the middle of Gen Z. All right. Just so the listener knows, I'm fascinated by that kind of thing. <laughs> I'm um I'm I'm a geriatric millennial. We don't want to go into it, but uh, it's too embarrassing. But uh, I'm the older side of millennial. But um, getting back to old ties. I wanted to ask you how woke are your friends, by the way. Let me just ask you that first. You mentioned that you said you had to deal with all this woke crap in school. Yeah. Mm. But you didn't go for it. Are your friends like woke or do they just think it's all bollocks? Well, nah, so I, I'd say, I mean, I, I'm a bit isolated recently. I don't actually have that many friends. But when I did, <laughs> I had, uh, I'd say, yeah, majority, well, because well, a lot of my friends are like kind of sparky engineers. They weren't. But then I've also, a lot of my friends now are, are very, like I've got two mates who are like far left. They think the UK's you know, super racist and like we have arguments now and again and like recently a few things happened and like, I've had a lot of relationships, um, even just speaking of people, you know, in an intimate way, I've had, you know, relationships lost because of my political views and it's funny because like I speak to you and it to you I'm like a kind of, you know, what let's center left snowflake almost and then <laughs> nah, i wouldn't say <laughs> if you're pro victor orban's child policy no i just think you're in, i think you're basically on the right but you're kind of a but with a weird libertarian streak that's all that you'll grow out of well i don't know about that i don't know about that um and so like people on the right often think that but then in my own circles i'm kind of the loony right winger and like 
yeah, it's quite sad actually because it's like, you know, I'm not famous at all and I'm having people I know or potential things that could have happened in my life kind of squander because of my political views. And I, I love talking to everyone and that's what my show's about. It's like, I, I literally say to people who call me a nazi i say do you want to come on the show like i've i've had people who've like you know sent death threats of like you know if you see this guy in public beat him up he's a neo-nazi and i message him saying do you want to come on the show like i don't care who you are what you're about my whole thing is kind of having an opinion um so yeah i mean my friends for the most part young people are just unbelievably woke and there's also like young people now it's like I, like I had a conversation with my friend and I was they were complaining about your know, university debt or whatever and I was like but you're probably not even going to pay it off and even if you do it's like nothing and there's just a disconnect and the default is you know young people be left wing so I'd say for the most part um the average person I meet who's my age are super woke but my own personal friends aren't aren't kind of on that bandwagon tragically you've already been cancelled and lost friends for your views and again you you do know people like Lawrence Fox so you're obviously not going to fit in with the average 19-year-old. And, uh, you know, and that thing about inviting them on the show, you can do that. It doesn't work. You know, Lawrence tried to invite Matthew Sweet on, who's a guy that likes to attack GB. He's done a long thread about me trying to get me sued. Wow. And um, he likes to attack my workplace and try and destroy my living every day. But, but I, w- I would have him on, but he just would not. I knew, I said to Toby, should I get him on? He goes, no, nah, he'll just say, he'll just quote Sweet and say why he won't do it and be in a smug way. And that's exactly what he did with Lawrence. So th- they won't come on. But um, I've tried to get I try to get radical lefties on 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 the current thing, um, proper like you know Marxist people. Hopefully they'll still come on, so I'd be interested. And the thing is, they'll get a softball interview because I'm too nice. It'll just be a softball interview because because that's what I'm like. It won't be, but they they still won't do it. But hey, let's see. Um, so I wanted to ask you about what you thought about Tice's immigration policy because he said, so he said on the podcast, I've got an announcement coming up about immigration, and what that turned out to be was at his rally. He said we need net zero immigration. So he said that the population is almost 70 million, around 10 million more than 15 years ago. And he says we need net zero immigration because there's a certain amount of emigrate every year, which is 400k roughly. So bring 400k in and then we can catch up. And to me, I'd say that's too many because we're not caught up. We need to just stop, stop this whole thing for a bit. Then if we get back to some sort of normality, we could do a net zero. That's a decent idea. But what did you think to this net zero immigration idea? Well, I'm against it for many reasons. We got, you know, NHS crisis. I think we've got 120,000 um, NHS vacancies and we have uh, job shortages. We've got a record amount of young people not wanting to work. So we've got this big thing going on now where it's like, um, I, I actually dig my generation a lot because a lot of the issues we have now is young people being so unbelievably lazy. They go to university and then they don't work. So like, like the like people in your age for instance at my age were working a lot and like in way higher kind of stats than my generation but now my generation are lazy so i think um i i disagree with it completely because it's like we got all these issues going on and you're going to say we need less immigration but however i'll I'll give it to richard tice from reform uk the reason i don't mind them being anti-immigration to an extent is because they have economic populist policies to actually um, benefit people here so like one issue i have with a lot of tories when they talk about oh i'm anti-immigration their policies don't actually help people here but richard tice has made it clear he wants to help people here he wants to push the threshold from 12 and a half k to 20k he wants all frontline nhs staff to pay zero income tax for the next three years he wants um 
Dr. David Ball recently said with Train and Retain, he wants basically NHS people who want to train to become doctors here. They're going to pay for their tuition fees or whatever that costs loads and is a big deterrent for a lot of people. And they're going to pay that for them. But that means they have to stay in the NHS for at least five years. So therefore, not only is it going to bring a lot of people in, it's also going to retain them, which is the massive issue we see with nurses and doctors where they join the NHS and then they leave because of hours and everything. So um, while I disagree with Richard on this, I, I really respect Reform UK because they're actually a populist. And I think a big part of populism is it's left-wing economics, but the social aspect changes. So we have someone like Jeremy Corbyn, who's a, he's a left-wing populist, right? Because he's He's for nationalisation of everything. He's he's very left wing on you know what he wants. He wants to tax the rich and all of this. And then socially, he's extremely left wing. But you have got Richard Tice, and I actually think Richard Tice and Jeremy Corbyn are actually quite similar, to be honest. And then yeah, and Richard Tice, who's a right winger, he wants um he's a populist, so he's for you know helping working class people, fifty percent nationalisation of energy. He wants to you know push the tax threshold. He wants to help people like that. Um, and then everything he's doing. Um, oh, sorry, I, I just completely lost my train of thought. Um, you've got so many things. You've got so many threads going <laughs> at once. It's, uh, it's. I'm impressed how much you know, though. I mean, you, you're giving hope to the younger generation. I mean, most 19 olds like you say, are kind of idiots. And um, and no wonder you have to drink water after that. When I drink water, I get comments on the YouTube. Have you seen this? It's so annoying. People are like. Can you stop the constant uh, swigging? It's really annoying. Really? I'm just like, remove block. Yeah, that's a block. <laughs> I hate those people so much. Like, giving you all this free content. And the one thing you comment on is, I need to drink water. Yeah, yeah. I just need to drink water. I get a dry mouth, all right? And it's just like, can you stop that? I hate those people so much. No, They're just like you. so negative you. and pointless. Mm. That is a deletion and a block. That's a deleted comment block. Because it's not like, oh, I disagree with Richard Tice on this. Or I'm not going to vote reform. Or he's talking crap is even fine by me. Or even Nick's talking crap. But like, the water thing, you're gone. Anyway, um, but feel free to drink water, Roy. Um, yeah, so you're talking about this. He, he has the, um, the, he at least cares about training up our, I, I call it the latent workforce of this country. He's saying if we get, I think he said somewhere, if you get one uh, million people into work, it's a, it, 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 it comes to roughly 15 billion a yeah, year. Yeah, 1.5, I think he said. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he, so his, his whole thing is make work better off than benefits. It's not rocket science. And I was going to, um, pick you up on that actually not pick you up but just come back to something you said about christians are hypocrites because they don't care about benefits and so on so i'm not in that category so i've been on benefits so when i was your age i was not as sorted out as you i was not as uh you know articulate or as well as articulate but i was a mess basically you're, you're incredibly impressive because all the things you're doing at your age oh, i thanks. was not i was well, yeah and you're welcome i was a complete mess and i was just like lost for most of my 20s as well and I had terrible advice and I went to a school that said you were nothing wow. and repeat you know and people you know you're bullied and you were te- you know, the teachers told you were nothing the kids spat on you it was brutal man and and and, and they said to me um, not that it was like an inner city school or something it was just a rubbish comprehensive in the country but you know and I got the third highest grade in the country on history A level I'm always talking about this no one said like go to Oxford or anything. it wouldn't even be on the wow. map right so there's no guidance and then I kind of ended up on benefits and it was just no guidance and, I was t- and people said, well, yeah, you better to get your benefits while you can if you're out of work. And it's actually bad advice because then you get trapped. It's a well-known thing, the benefits trap. And then to come off it, as I sort of hinted at with Richard, not to blow my own trumpet, but it's very hard for people who are, and this is maybe I could sound like a lefty, but if humans are wired for survival, right? It's very hard to tell someone, here's what you've got to do today. You've got to come off benefits, make yourself poorer, make your life more uncertain, try and get this job that might not work out. It's harder 
and it's more unstable because it could end any time and you're actually going to have less money in your pocket and it's just absurd to ask people to do that and but you can do that eventually what you have to realize is spiritually i'm going to be better off so i actually am going to make myself poorer and i am going to make my heart harder in the short term but how many people are in a position to do that even have the resources and energy to do that it takes an awful lot so i'm not one of these people who's anti-benefit and i said that to richard and and he sort of agreed. He said it has to be a bit of carrot and stick, but he just said it's simply about making work pay. Do you have any thoughts on this, how to make work pay and help people get out of benefits? I mean, that's really found out what you're saying about like, um, like you growing up and stuff because a lot of people who they're, you know, they don't have someone, you know, word of encouragement, as Jordan P would say, to like kind of go against what you're being told to do. Like it's an incredibly difficult thing and it's easy for people, I think, who don't go through that like what you went through to just point and say we'll do this do that but it's a completely different thing when you're actually in the situation and i think that's another thing in life where it's easy to kind of say how to solve someone's issues without being that person and experiencing that and i completely agree like it's it takes so much for someone to obviously get off benefits if that benefits them overall like it's you know it's against human nature so what he's saying is he's not saying that people who generally need benefits should get taken off benefits and he made that clear didn't he he first of all started off by saying you know we need it we're a compassionate society we need benefits for people who need it and he made that super clear but he's just making the point you know we have one and a half million extra people on benefits than before covid who were fully working and that's an issue and people can dance around and say oh no it's not but that is an issue and like even in my own life i spoke with a girl who at her work um there were people who didn't even want to take extra shifts because that meant that they you know didn't qualify for certain benefit schemes and that's just shows a shamble where people are denying work just because they're better off elsewhere um and yeah, I completely agree with you. And it's also another thing of just kind of, it's so sad, isn't it? How many young people um, aren't given a directional well done. And, you know, the fact that like, you know, no one um, prompted you to go down other routes, you know, that's quite sad because it's like, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just sad. And I think that's a big part of like Christianity and community of how it can be a open door to other things. And that's why I do understand to respect, you know, people who are anti-immigration, they you know they want their little confined communities and um and i i do understand that to an extent um and yeah yeah and i don't want to make myself like sound like uh, oliver twist or something i i might have two parents nice enough home you know my dad grew up with no money my mom had a little bit more and we were just lower middle class comprehensive school very normal but it was just not a good school and it was no the only person that said well done when i got the third highest grade in the country was the history teacher who turned out later to be a pedo. Like, that'll, give you, that'll, give you the, that'll give you the idea. That was where I, that's where I come from. So, and it's a world of difference, man. If, if you work at somewhere like GB or anywhere, and I get on my class high horse a little bit and I sound like a dip, but it's a world of difference because there's people who've been at comprehensive schools. It's not that we're like down the mines and, and obviously there's loads of people struggling more than me. You know, you might not speak English or whatever it is. You're str- you might have disabilities. But we are in a different world from uh, the people, possibly people who've been at public school. I don't know, what what was your school? Um, so I went to Catholic school. I hated school, hated nursery, hated primary, hated secondary. Um, college was all right. But yeah, I went to Catholic school. It was public. Um, it wasn't, you know, there's loads of working class people there. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, f- you know nitty gritty coal mine people. But it wasn't like, it was nowhere near like, you know, I don't know, posh people type thing. Um yeah, it was kind of that. I mean, I hated everything. I hated the people, hated the education system, hated, um, 
yeah, everything about it pretty much. Happiest day of my life is the day I left school. <laughs> and like, and you, are you not even uh, going to university then? Nah, no, nah, no, nah, no way. Because um, I've learned That's smart. You know, the gre- the greatest thing you got is YouTube. I've self t- like in college, I got told go uni. Everyone was going uni. There's like a few people who didn't. There's like two people I think. And like my teacher told me to go uni and stuff. I didn't want to go uni because I just had the logic, you self-teach. And like everything I've learned pretty much has just been me watching YouTube <laughs> tutorials, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you watch our shorts on the Current Thing YouTube channel, especially the one with Carl Benjamin, Rory did them. And you're clearly very talented at that. And you just learned all that yourself. And you're right. I mean, especially the school closures and the sort of university closures revealed that you don't need them because mm. they, they were just doing online anyway. Yeah. Right? Hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's cool that you've done that, man. That's what I would advocate for anyone young. But the fact you've actually done it, obviously, if you're going to be a doctor or something, you can't really do mm. that. You're like just looking at how to do the surgery online, <laughs> like so maybe not a good idea. But, but for your kind of thing, yeah. I appreciate. That. What do you want to actually do then? You just want to do like YouTube stuff and podcast yourself and things like that. So, so my goal is to um, is to do my podcast full time. Yeah, that's that's my overall goal. I want to do it full time. I want to creep onto GB News eventually. Uh, do a few segments there. You know, hopefully build up my profile a little bit. But my goal is to create a movement. And one of my big goals actually is almost de-radicalization for my podcast because I feel like with right wingers, it's I feel like people do feel they need to overcompensate and actually agree with people even if they don't. So it's like, oh, you, you know, you're skeptical of certain medical products. That also means you need to throw the whole thing out the bag and be skeptical of every single medical product ever. Or, you know, you're, <clears throat> I, I, I can't even think of anything. I don't know, like just a right wing issue. People feel that they need to throw everything out. They need to agree and they need to fit in a box with their opinions. And there's not many people out there, I think, who just say, you don't need to fit in a box for your opinions. And I really yeah. embrace that kind of, yeah, I don't fit in a box, you know. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate your uh, euphemistic phrasing of certain medical products so that we mm. could possibly put this on YouTube. And, um, but you, but yeah, you need to stop, cut down your swearing, Rory, because YouTube don't like that. And also GB News, True. no swearing, man. Really? The one thing you'll get there, the one thing, yeah, I've been trained out of it. I, I said like bollocks today, but that's as far as I've got like, I've been trained out of it because because GB's headline is no swearing, and if, if anyone drops an f bomb, you've got to apologise. And wow. even words like piss or like balls, it's like very very strict. Damn. So um, you know, you then it's, once you get there, you can come on GB. But um, I'm saying that I have no power. <laughs> I would get you on today if I could. Um, what do you think to his points on the civil service? I don't know if it's something like a 19 year old thinks about that much, but it's interesting because. I was out with the civil service. Like, how do I put this? Well, let's just talk about Tice first. He, he, he says that, um, I said to him, how would you get the civil service blob in line? Because you've got people like Swella Brab and say, let's do this. Then she can't even do it because her department ignores her. We've just seen Dominic Raab get basically ousted by the civil service. You know, he may have been a bully. I don't know. But it seemed like he basically got ousted by his own department. And then Tice pointed out he ran a company just outside the largest 300 in the world or whatever. Oh, Britain, not sure which, but pretty big company. He said he'd just warn them, and then he'd, if they didn't do it, he would sack them if it was a company. So he said, <clears throat> just run it like a company. But is that naive? I mean, you've got this bloated civil service, and they hate the government. And I was out with some of the extended blob last night, I call them, which is like Bank of England people, which isn't the civil service, but Bank of England, BBC, think tank people. And they all hate the Tory government, obviously massively. I mean, I don't like this government either, and I've actually never voted Tory. But they actually despise the government. So what would you, what, were you convinced by his argument of how he would sort the civil service? Yeah, I, I think he's got some valid points there about how, like the structure and how it's run and it's completely broken. 
Um, and I think, you know, I've, I've heard a thing where it's like we should nationalise a lot of things but run them like private institutions. And it does have its place. Like if you are guaranteed a certain amount of money a certain, for a certain task, then there is a passive passivity is that what's the word passivity yeah passivity to it um and i think yeah he's got some very valid points like that but i think with dominic rob and stuff you also you need you do need to call out um things when they are an issue and it's easy to sweep everything under the rug but when there are real issues you do need to call it out and for what i saw with that there did seem to be a lot of complaints and stuff and it's easy to kind of call it snowflake culture but um if you do create a culture where nothing can be called out, then things do go under the rug properly. And then you've got Harvey Weinstein and stuff. And I'm not saying, that, you know, it's going to lead to that in the UK. But, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to call, call things snowflake culture, but it's another thing to call out sexual harassment, to call out abuse, to call out, you know, multiple wrongdoings. Like it's, it's very important to not just say, you know, oh, it's snowflake culture. Because when you say that, you're also closing the door on a lot of horrendous things that just don't get spoken about, you know? Yeah, although, Rob, to be fair to him, was only done on two minor um, issues in the end. One was that he he changed personnel on some deal with Gibraltar. The other was that he he criticised civil servants in a way that they felt insulted, and they and, and that was thought to be bullying. Pretty minor. We don't really know unless we're there if he really was a bully. I, I suspect it was pretty minor and he was just trying to get results. I've heard that he tried to even adapt his language once he realised it was offending people. Not everyone has a lot of empathy. So, so funny you mentioned Me Too again. Have you ever seen Limitless, that movie? No, no, I haven't. Such a great movie. It's like not a good movie. You know movies that aren't like good necessarily, but you want to watch them again because they're yeah. kind of like cool and you, yeah, you want to yeah. imagine like being limitless and taking the... The guy takes a drug that makes him ultra smart and then you can just take oh, over Oh, wait, wait. Everything. Yeah, I might have seen that. I think I might have. Okay. Because yeah. <laughs> there's a series. Of, I was like, I'll try and watch the series. And I knew it wasn't going to be very good. At the very start, he, he, he gets the drug to be super smart. You know what he does with it? He's in an office and he categorizes all their employees into the risk, likelihood of being a risk of a me too. I'm like, oh. that's what you did with your super smart ability. Wow. I was like, this is so pathetic. I actually turned off. I was like, really? I can't watch wow. it. I just can't watch it. I was like, he filed, he filed them into five different categories of their risk to the employer of creating a Me Too incident. I was like, that's so pathetic yeah. that that's in a, in a, in a series. I was like, yeah, you know, I know that's you like mean. the woke version. What would I do with unlimited powers? Mm-hmm. I'd sort the HR department. Bad <laughs> <laughs> human resources. But then, anyway, I f- no, but I also think like, um, that's also another thing. And, you know, when young people my age, for instance, there is a big sexual assault culture. And this is one of the things I'm talking about of overcompensating. So it's like... Um, like me too is a you know me too and that whole movement and you know what going on with their false accusations horrendous like like disgusting you know false accusations and all that i think you know that that is one of the worst things you're degrading both situations but i also think we've lost a bit of gentleman culture where um you know with the rise of Andrew Tan stuff now to almost call out sexual assault you're now a simp and stuff and you're a snowflake and and i think we've losing kind of traditional values in the good sense of like you know people do stand up for each other and things of that nature and you know even when i go i was in the club the other night and i saw you know just men just you know without consent and stuff um uh, and also like just i know oh sorry just (laughs) again told you man you'll never get on tv yeah yeah that's bad i'm just like kind of grabbing girls and stuff and i thought it was grim and you know it's important to call things out and i think old school gentleman culture is very good and it's something that our society, I think, lacks of that. And instead, it's either, you know, you're an agitate lover boy who calls everyone a simp and a, 
I know a woke soy boy, or you're a soy boy who calls everyone a rapist. Sorry, I just swore again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, so, something to work on yeah. in the future. I'm, I'm helping young men clean up their clean up their act. You know, it's funny when you say I, I like the gentleman culture getting a plug for your podcast, but yeah, I find myself in these weird positions defending these people where I would never do anything like that, and then I'm defending them. So it is kind of weird, but you know, so you've got a point. Um, I just got into a digression there about the Limitless series because I thought if on these episodes we can have a bit of a digression, right? If we mm. can't have a bit of fun here, where can we? <laughs> but I did want to say, what did you think about his idea, the Britain about whether Britain's finished? Because I've got this thing on the podcast. I like to ask if Britain's finished because I'm obsessed with it. And obviously, you, I'd like to get your opinion as a, as a young person. I mean, this, this episode has been half an interview of you because I don't speak to many 19-year-olds. But um, is Britain finished? I asked him and he said that we were heading for this waterfall and you've done a brilliant short clip about it on our youtube we were heading we're heading for the rocks and we've got about 10 years max and and after that we're going to crash on the rocks and then it's over and i tried to ask him and he didn't totally answer it what that looks like i said is it like socialism is it anarchy in the streets he never answered that which was a a pity but what do you think to his idea that we're heading for these rocks and what do you think the rocks are that's a great question i think um he gave a fascinating answer to that i think with that question, it almost doesn't matter because even if we were heading towards, you know, a full-blown breakdown of society, that shouldn't really deter people's intentions because it, let's say we are going towards a full-on communist regime, which I, I don't think is true, but, you know, some sort of authoritarian, theocracy, whatever you want to call it, then you, people should do everything in their power for that not to happen. And if people do lose trust, and we are seeing people lose trust in health agencies and regulatory bodies... um it's it's a scary thing and that does look like an authoritarian regime and i don't think we're far away from that at all you know people were okay to get locked in their houses for two years people were okay with that happening and there is this two different worlds forming where it's like you know i speak to you and i even though i disagree with you on a lot we you know we come from the same place we believe in freedom we believe in body autonomy you know putting certain products in our bodies you have the right for that and you'll defend a left winger's freedom of speech and he won't defend yours you know that's that's where we're coming from even though we disagree on a lot but there's also people who are npcs who wear nine masks who take certain products who watch bbc news every day who think we should send you know 100 billion to ukraine and they're these two different worlds forming and that is just becoming more and more um prominent and i guess what that looks like is people what i think we're heading towards is people who think they're the complete opposite and it's it's nothing revolutionary what i'm saying it but like people who think they are the you know anti-fascists who are actually the new form of fascists like it's an, we're in an unbelievably circumstance where you have people like Andrew Bridgen, a right winger, a Brexiteer, calling on a investigation into you know some of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world and wanting to investigate um, certain health agencies being captured by big multinational corporations, and he gets told by left wingers he's anti something for doing so. So like the whole dynamic mm. is broken, and like. You know, we got caught. You know, the Tories want to increase corporation tax, so we're living it. We're living in just bonkers time, and I think we're just heading towards a compliance culture that will eventually um, result in a government being formed that is t- tyrannical to the most. You know, the biggest definition of that. And I guess overall, I don't. I think it's irrelevant if it's going to happen or not because you have to do something. And if you don't do something then you can't complain about it, really. Hmm. Yeah. 
Very interesting. <clears throat> and, and Andrew Bridgen, by the way, is our first ever episode on, on this podcast. And we haven't put it on YouTube because just so many things about the medical products. But um, but it, we might be able to put some clips up before he gets around to it. And uh, But we, I don't know what to do with it, man, but it's such a good episode. But he's been, he's been treated very badly, um, as you say. And um, what about, though, as a young person, you listen to Richard, you talk about we're going to crash on the rocks. Do you have hope? for Britain or England in general? Or is there like a... Because I, I have very little hope, and I used to have more hope as a young person, but that's because the culture war wasn't so prominent and hadn't taken over, and we just weren't thinking about it. And in the 90s, things were basically going well. But do you, growing up in this time of divided culture wars and so on, must be very weird, do you have despair about the future of the country, or are you just a young, optimistic person because you're young and things seem possible? No, I'm extremely pessimistic. You know, I've got... I know, you know, I've seen people on Snapchat and stuff who are my old age um, selling their bodies for money. That's normal. So, like, online prostitution for my age is normal. Um, not tolerating people who have a different opinion is normal. Um, calling people fascist and racist 24-7. Hating your country constantly. Calling everyone racist. Um, not being sceptical of big multinational corporations, even though you say you're left-wing. Not believing in body autonomy. Not believing in human rights. All of this stuff that I've experienced myself, I have absolute pessimism for the future um like i got very little hope i guess the hope i have is that eventually the tides will turn and you know in some respects the uk will go back to some form of traditionism and and i f like i think we can learn a lot from older people and that's one thing i've done myself like when i grew up i thought my grand was a bit of a you know, she fought some out their views, but now I listen to her and I agree with her on, you know, 92%. was <laughs> right. Yeah, and like, I actually interviewed her for my podcast, and that's, and it was a crazy episode, because we had this woman, you know, 86, she was with my granddad for like 84 years plus, um, and the wisdom that she espoused of simply things like she spoke to her granddad for, my, well, her husband for five years before they did anything, and the culture, the community, and everything, and I think as a society, we can learn so much from older people. And yeah, overall, I've got a terrible pessimistic view of the future, to say the least. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's sad to hear. I mean, that is sad to hear, cause it, but it sounds like it's the result <clears throat> of you growing up amongst people who have suffered from whatever you want to call it, the woke indoctrination, whatever phrase you want to use, they've bought into it all. They hate the country. They're intolerant of free speech. And, that, and you're, you are you're the result of that generation. It must be horrendous to be having to grow up amongst these idiots brainwashed NPCs as you say but like you say it could turn it could turn back I mean I'm starting to think more and more I haven't fleshed this out yet but I tended to think okay things are just getting worse and worse and worse and entropy and degeneracy but then I look at it and go there's only so far you can go and you can you can look at the example of Weimar and then it went back a bit aggressively towards Hitler but you can look at the look at history and there's only so far humans can really go towards degeneracy. You look at Sam Smith and stuff, you go like, okay, yeah, these are all the same old <laughs> trope. We're trying to be as degenerate as possible. Mm. But actually, I've started to think we will come back just because there's nowhere else to go. You know, Steve Bannon believes in this fourth turning and people find it a bit kooky. It's this idea that there's these four, four different stages in history and they just keep repeating. And he sort of believes in that a bit too much to a sort of weird degree where apparently there was, um, they were doing, uh, Trump wanted to, was a question whether to bomb Syria or something. And, uh, and anyway... And he was, Bannon was talking to Jared Kushner about it. I'm, I'm not remembering the story perfectly, but but one thing was said was like, well, should we really do this? And Bannon sort of said, well, you know, there's going to be loads of this kind of thing. Things have got to get darker before they get better. So he had a kind of accelerationist <laughs> attitude, which at that level of the White House, people found was a bit like worrying. Wow. This was listened to a podcast with his biographer. It's like, hang on, 
Bannon so believes in this four turning that he's like, yeah, we'll let things get a bit worse because then the good parts come around. But I, you know, it might come round though, Rory. You know, I, I, I basically agree with you. I wrote an article called "England is Lost Forever," but now I'm starting to think maybe it'll come round because there's nowhere else for it to go. But maybe I'm just being a deluded optimist, um, which is very unlike me. But confronted with your even more pessimist <laughs> attitude, I've, I've suddenly gone optimist just for optimist, balance. Yeah. Um, do you want to comment on either? There's three areas that I haven't talked about yet: the net zero stuff, the Christian morality stuff, and proportional representation. Do any of those interest you? Maybe the Christian one is most interesting because you're a Christian. And I try and build a team of hardcore Christians. We've got Andrew, our designer, who's a, a Christian. We've got Rory, who's Christian. Ben's helped me with some things. He's a Mormon, which is like a Christian on steroids. You've got to be a Christian to work on this podcast, except our brilliant producer, Jason, I don't think is. But um, I asked him at the end, and he said he wears his Christianity fairly lightly. You know, he's a nominal sort of Christian, it sounded like to me. Um, or at least he felt it was a private thing. And he said, in the UK, we don't really do... Christianity, religion and politics. And he said, your faith or lack of faith should have no bearing on how the country is run, which I was found a bit questionable. But he said, but heritage should, he, he was talking about sort of generally in terms of heritage, our general morality. But I, to me, that he's actually just talking about our Christian heritage, but he just doesn't want to quite frame it that way because he's reluctant to lose voters. And, or, 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 or do you think, he thinks, not in a cynical way, he just thinks that's the wrong way to do it. He thinks the country should be run just competently and your Christianity's on the side. And yet all the morality he was citing as essential is Christian morality. Any thoughts? Um, yeah, I thought it was a really good question because um, that's, you know, that's a big kind of dividing line of where someone's moral compass is at. And it's it like it's a big deal. Like if you ask someone what's right and wrong and they say, well, this is right, this is wrong, then that's based on something. Or like if you ask someone what's right, it's like, well, if it's good and makes you happy and then it's like, okay, so you don't have a right or wrong, so there is no moral compass. And you, you do see that um, Christianity and religion has a massive, um, uh, you know, implication of how people structure things and how people base and what's good or good and bad. And I think, I found it really weird he actually said that because he's so hawkish on immigration. He's like, stop the boats. And that means so many view like people who would support him like me then don't support him um, even though they do like him and a lot of what he stands for but then when it comes to christianity he's skeptical to do that which i found quite bizarre actually um and i think like yeah i think it does have a massive play in what and how you govern and what policies you actually use because and also there's also hypocrisy within that as well because as a christian i'm pro-immigration as a christian i'm very pro-asylum seekers and that's not pro that's not a traditional kind of christian right-wing outlook but it's also an angle that doesn't get talked about a lot which is like a a left-wing or no center-left or right-wing christian that isn't hawkish on immigration like that so i think that it was a bad response to be honest because he should have owned the fact of what he was saying he kind of he spoke two sides of his mouth almost he used his own personal um view on christianity and then deflected that from how you govern and i think anyone could say objectively that being a christian does affect how you govern if you have power um and i guess maybe that's because there's been an influx of i don't know um, muslim voters to reform uk or sikhs and that's you know that's fine um and you could use maybe more religious term of religion not specific christianity but um yeah i think it definitely does have a massive effect and as a society we are drifting massively away from christianity and what does that mean for the future especially those who get in power i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah i suppose he was saying you can't implement it at the policy level because christianity has been our culture but it hasn't been necessarily we run things 
policies according to Christianity. I guess that's what he meant. But yeah, maybe my question could have been clearer. But yeah, he was a bit evasive. Evasive is too strong, but he, he wasn't sort of strongly coming out as a Christian or anything. So would you have a kind of um, theocracy, Roy, a, a libertarian <laughs> theocracy? This is a bit of a bit of a challenge, but... <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm for complete religious freedom. I don't care, you know, what, what religion you are, what you're about. I've got absolutely no problem with that. I do think, you know, y- your laws should be made somewhat on it. So as a Christian, I think that if people are in need, we should help them. I think we should help the homeless. We should help you know those struggling we should promote you know traditional values family first policies <laughs> we, we you know that's what we should promote i think that's what we should do as a christian um and that that's my how my society looks that doesn't mean that um people can't do things that i classify as you know not very good you know may that be degeneracy and stuff people have the complete freedom to do that because you know as jordan peterson famously said if people don't have the right to do things then what actually is right or wrong if everyone's made to do something right is that right or is that just normal? What then becomes right if everyone's doing the same thing? Hmm. Mm. Without free will, you mean what becomes right? Yeah, because if normal, mm. like how can right be right if it's normal, if in a sense? Mm. That's interesting. Mm. I'll have to look into that. I don't know which video you mean. I, I used to watch loads of Peterson, and then I stopped. Was he a big deal for like for you and your generation? Yeah, yeah. I say- not the, not, your, <laughs> not the other spokesman of your generation. Sorry about this. Well, because generation. I don't speak to many 19-year-olds. It would be kind of weird if I did. But I'm just kind of like really interested. Uh, no, great question. Oh, like he, for me, he's been a massive um, impact on me. I read 12 Rules for Life recently. I listened to him loads. It's actually just uh, there for anyone who's watching. Um, like personal responsibility, taking responsibility for your actions, thinking of uh, duties and things you have to do is not a negative, but actually a positive. And instead of a lot of young people, they grow up, they think, oh, I want to be freedom. I don't want responsibility. I want to, you know you know drink go out party 24 7 shag people and all that 24 7 for me listening to jordan peterson shifted my whole perspective because i've realized that the most freedom you can get is through responsibility and people who seek freedom actually find the least happiness often and i've seen that with my with people i know who they just go out and they there's, there's just no future it's just now now gratification and then i actually see how miserable they are and like it's definitely shaped me a lot and i disagree with jordan peterson on so much i say politically he's chats nonsense but philosophically <laughs> i love him that's him told <laughs> i love to see you tell hey peterson you're chatting nonsense <laughs> um you know politically he is quite bad he's a bit of a boomer politically he's a bit of a he's like he, you know used to he wrote for the un he, he, he makes well he's getting a bit more conservative actually on twitter but he used to just post quite centrist things his, his expertise is more in the ar- archetypes and the young, Jungian archetypes and the uh, and the you know all the the kind of uh, the biblical extrapolations and the psychological questions. He's sort of brilliant on all that. And the but then anyway, strict po- straight politics is maybe his weakest area. Mm. I kind of agree with you. Although here we are just dissing Peterson like kind of ridiculous yeah. in a way, isn't it? The yeah. hubris of that. Mm. But um, all right, there's only two other things that we haven't covered that I except for maybe Farage, but. We were only, only mentioned him very briefly in the podcast. The only two things I haven't mentioned are net zero and proportional representation. Do you have any strong views on either of those or on anything Ty said about them? Uh, yeah, I think I disagree with him on net zero. I think he's downplaying the climate crisis. You know, climate change is a real issue. And to act like just because, you know, you quote one thing about CO2, I don't think dismantles, you know, thousands of scientists. And yeah, I'm not saying that, you know, we're all going to die tomorrow, but to dismiss it, down to kind of something as bland as that I thought was a bit you know come on um well do you agree with that he said the green lobby I, is basically a, it's about follow the money because I asked him why, why where does the climate cult come from 
or whatever you call it. And he said, <laughs> maybe that's a loaded question. He said it's a green lobby and there's loads of jobs in it. But you, it sounds like you're a true believer. So, well, I'm not a true believer, but that sounds. I'm completely on the fence, currently. I'm doing my research. Um, I think that to me it seems a little ridiculous. I understand what he means about subsidies, and there's a fair criticism there of you know how much influence. But it's kind of flipping it on its head because we have you know BP Shell investing and lobby politicians and and you know these jobs and these contracts and then instead of kind of saying that instead you're flipping it completely on its head and saying no the issue is the green lobby and it's like all right if you talk about both fair enough but if you're just going to talk about the green lobby that just seems completely kind of nonsensical almost and like yeah and like for for me i actually prefer richard tice so much more than farage because richard tice is a legit populist and that's one thing i've really grown to like about reform now is they're pushing populist policies and what farage would do is he would just talk about immigration and in actual p- policies it wouldn't actually be kind of left-wing economics type thing but richard tice he's pushing kind of right-wing socially and left-wing economics and for me i actually love to see some real populism because I think Nigel Farage is just a complete fake populist, really. Really? Yeah. Hang on. So you, you like Tice because he's more of a populist than Farage. But how do you define populism then? So well, I define it as someone who has uh, kind of policies that benefit the working class and that's their intentions to benefit those kind of lowest in society. But then depending off the right or left wing, that kind of dictates how they are socially. So like a right wing populist is very nationalistic, but then a left-wing populist is kind of a bit scared to be nationalistic, but his actual policies are very working class. So just like someone like Jeremy Corbyn, he's a real populist. And then I would say Richard Tice is a real populist. But Nigel Farage, I think, is a complete fake populist. Yeah. Well, he's more of a <coughs> Thatcherite, isn't he, Farage, who sort of ended up here. But um, And do you have anything on proportional representation? Because, like, what is, I don't know, again, I was going to say your generation, but... But, you know, would you be up for change of the whole electoral system? Yeah, yeah, I would say. Um, I mean, it's got pros and cons. Obviously, you've got extremist parties can come in it without a different system. But I think that, you know, you've got a bit, we need direct democracy. I support what they have in Switzerland where uh, cantonal governance, where, you know, you have local boroughs or local places where they dictate their own tax law, where everything's kind of decentralized and people actually dictate what they happen. So me in Portsmouth, I think it's ridiculous someone in, Scotland, not Scotland, let's say Liverpool, an MP from Liverpool is having dictate of how much tax I should pay um, in Portsmouth. That just seems nonsense to me. I think we need what, what they have in Switzerland, cantonal governance, where people who live in places actually decide their own laws and their own taxes. And I think everything would be a lot better if it was that way. But I've got, got a question for you. What What's um, mm-hmm. one major takeaway from interviewing Richard Tice? And what, what has changed since interviewing him interesting well my initial takeaway was just that he was a he was a good guy and, and easy to get along with which I, it kind of sounds silly but i wasn't i wasn't sure he was going to be like that um and my other take is how you've, you sprung a question on me here Roy. my other let me think about it i've watched change since do you mean since i did the interview a couple of weeks yeah ago? like what has changed your perspective of reform uk or specifically richard tice or Mm, this is a good question. I wasn't expecting it to be turned on me. <laughs> Maybe we should interview me for these. these this, is a total, mm. this is a total experiment. But I was impressed by him overall. I, I just thought he was an ultra-competent person. He seemed to have a history of being competent at running businesses. 
or running that, that large business he, he spoke about. Of course, I'm only going off what he says, but I'm also going off the general vibe and just my experience of working with him. He was an upbeat, high-energy person, easy to work with. Though he seemed nice, when he spoke about he would just fire people, that would be a hard line. I did think, would I want to work for Richard? Because I was thinking, we're getting on now, but he'd probably like can my ass. He'd be like, you're fired, bro. It, he did seem kind of aggressive with that. But I actually think that's absolutely what we need. So I was thinking, it sounds like it'd be tough to work for Richard, perhaps, if, it, if it's as he says it is. But then again, that's exactly what we need for the country. And it was interesting he thought we had 10 years, which I think is generous. But like the fact that even he thinks we are going to crash. My overall takeaway is the, I basically agree with most things he says, or at least you know don't significantly disagree. Like Christianity, we can talk about, or some of the minutiae of the policies. But my overall take is... Here's one of the few people who are actually going to do anything and actually want to shake up the system. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm as disillusioned with the Tories as anyone. In fact, not, disillusioned is even the wrong word because I've never voted for them. So to me, he's one of the few options and reformer one of the few options. And we also had Belinda on the podcast and she's, she's cool as well. And then, then they've got Farage. They're one of the few options you could actually vote for. But And maybe he even did win my vote during it. I might even go that far. Wow. But I'm also pretty hopeless because... because no one they're still not going to be able to make a dent without proportional representation and I'm not totally convinced that it will come in he was convinced it would come in with Labour I'm not but he may well know more than me but I, I'm just not convinced it will maybe because I've lived with the other system my whole life and I, I don't know if Labour will be incentivized to do it if they win by a lot but I still have a bit of despair because I'm like I could vote for them in my area it won't make any difference in our current system anyway which is obviously why we need PR but it won't make any difference. And then I hung out last night with the, the blob. And I'm, I'm kind of joking, but they're kind of like BBC, Bank of England. One of them, it wasn't actually there. It was in a think tank. But these are all these people I know in, in North London. I've been tweeting about it and getting some people attack me. But <laughs> you realise their perspective is totally different. And they'll be closer to you, but they're still way more, they're way more sort of left than you. And they, and they, they think Starmer's the answer. They think he's going to rejoin the EU and it'll all be great. One person wasn't wasn't as naive as that, but or zealous as that, if you want to say, not naive. Perhaps it's unfair because this guy was it. Someone's an economic expert, but but they think they have this faith in Starmer. They're sort of like Blairite still, basically. Two of them called Jacob Rees-Mogg the c-word. <laughs> Two of them said he belongs in prison. Wow. I'm like, these are my neighbours. Uh, these are my some of them are my family, but they're just like I'm just like, this is insane. So. Although I can get encouraged listening to Tice and going, I basically agree with most things and I'd, happily, I'd definitely consider them as someone to vote for. Then I speak to the people in my area and I realise they're just not going to get anywhere and, and we are just going to keep going ever more leftwards because shockingly, the blob people, the Remainer people, and it, we, that's an unfair characterization, but whatever. They look at the situation and go, you know what we need? More leftism, more st- Labour. We need Starmer. And I'm just like going, that's mad. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you could argue that left-wingers would say this not left-wing, Starmer isn't left-wing, and that's why he's tried to cancel out people like Corbyn and lefties like Corbyn. I mean, like, Corbyn's yeah. right. Like, his policies are super popular. I'd say, for me, uh, Starmer is a man of no principle. He's authoritarian. You know, he's wanted harsh lockdowns. He called Freedom Day reckless. He's, he's like, he, f- he throws friends under the bus. He threw Jeremy Corbyn under the bus. Like, I think, he, like, he's, he's just a, scummy man to be honest and yeah sure he might have some all right policies but he's just kind of a boring man with no real change and so far no principles 
Um, so I, I agree with you for the most part. But I'd say a lot of lefties would say this isn't. We don't have actual no. left wingers. Of course, mm. he's a neo-lib. What I mean is, <clears throat> I sometimes call them the new normies. This is what I coined in my article, Confessions of a Conservative Rebel. You should read it on the Daily Skeptic. I, I'm trying to figure out what this new type of person is. They work for these, the deep state, the, the blob, the extended blob, and they kind of like, they have all these, their opinions are sort of post-Blair, and they would have been very centrist in the past. They're centrist economically or center-left economically, but then they kind of had these wildly left. They basically bought into wokeness. So if you criticize BLM, they'll mm. freak out or Antifa or something like that. And they're kind of weird. So it's kind of, it's neoliberalism with a kind of pattern of wokeness on it. I find it very strange. I'm always trying to figure out what it's all about. I suppose Goodwin, Matt Goodwin might talk about it as the new elite or something, but which is one of the ideas that one of the people vehemently sort of shouted down last night was the idea that they were in this elite. Then it was quite funny. I was asking them about how, how I could ever get a mortgage or what I should do. And they were like, couldn't even relate. Like they have no advice because they all just have mortgages. Wow, that they were. Wow. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm on the outside. I've ended up in a different, cl- by, by being a mess in my 20s, I've ended up in a different social group to them. So funny. But um, so I accept your point. Starmer's not like a, a leftist or anything. Uh, well, actually, although just a quick caveat, he was the editor of Socialist Alternatives. Really? Which is wow. a, he's actually a Pabloist. Check this out. Which is a subset of Trotskyism. So it is a socialist subset, and the, the, crit, the critique of him would be that he's secretly more leftist than he lets on, yeah, I've much heard as I've heard that. Blair was yeah. or any of these people. Mm, I've heard that a lot, actually, of how like he's playing you know, centrist or whatever to get in, and once he's in, he's going to be very left-wing like Corbyn. People have heard that, I don't know. I don't know how true that is. I'd say like what, what you just said about kind of what actually is this new phenomenon. I would just say, I call it now a cult because it's like there's no actual philosophy. It's like I'm a, a traditional left-winger, pro-freedom of speech. I mean, that doesn't exist anymore. So the, the, one of the core tents of leftism completely thrown away. I'm anti-war. You know, war's terrible. We shouldn't have war. And then you look at Ukraine. Let's send billions to Ukraine. Wave your Ukrainian flag. Or I'm skeptical of big multinational corporations. And then they're screaming, you know, go Pfizer, Moderna. Yay. We shouldn't investigate these big multinational corporations. Or, um, you know, oh, I'm pro-human rights. Human rights are so important. We should have human rights for immigrants and everything. And then, you know let's shut you down for the past two years if you say anything you're a far-right racist there's no political philosophy because anyone objectively would look at the past two years and say you know to a legitimate left-winger that you know that's wrong and we do have actual left-wingers like russell brand and what happens if you're actually left-wing now you're classified as right-wing so like it's just a cult it's either you know you wear your eight mask you wear you wave your ukrainian flag or whatever um and that that's now the cult. And then if you're someone who's legitimately left wing, who who's like Russell Brand, who hates capitalism, who hates big multinational corporations, you're now classified as right wing. So it's it's just the cult v not the cult. I think you, you could say these people just support the current thing. Yeah, you, yeah. Get a bug. <laughs> and this is why I call it this name. Yeah. It was meant to be a joke name because that is what they're like. And um, that's it's a satirical name. And I, I said it last night in one of my tweets that I wrote after being out with these people. I wrote the Remainer blob, which you're calling the cult, seemed to frame everything in terms of competence. And no doubt this government has been incompetent, but it's a kind of gaslighting that pretends there are no deeper political issues at stake, much as atheists, often the same people, pretend God has been debunked. So I sort of see these people as they kind of, they think it's all about competence, it's all about managing the economy, and, and obviously we want to do that well. But then they sort of pretend that everything's been settled and we live in this materialist, technocratic, materialist world. It's all been settled. You're mad if you think anything else. And they just go along with whatever the current thing is. 
and everything else is like in seg- you believe in God, you're stupid if you cr- criticize the way they're running. Have you noticed? Yeah, that? no, it's great name. It summarizes the culture so well. What's happening and the amount of people? Like I had a left winger I spoke to the other day, and I was like. So do you think, like, you know, big multinational corporations having interests in our regulatory bodies, do you think that's an issue? And they're like, well, I don't know, I don't know. And I'm like, wait, you're left wing, right? And then I said, you know this company called Pfizer that has a certain medical product who had the biggest lawsuit in history for fraud and data, and we've had whistleblowers come out, people lose their whole careers over speaking about this. Do you think maybe we should investigate that as you're sceptical of capitalism? And it's just the disconnect. Like, it's like they are in the cult. It's like... They don't put two and two together, and it's just mind-boggling. Like, even another example, people who say they're left-wing have not spoke about one of the biggest layoffs of the past 10 years. 40,000 care workers got sacked. Working-class people in terrible conditions got sacked. And then also you've got um, 127,000 NHS workers who are going to lose their jobs. The only trade union that stood up for them were Workers for England. So again, it's a cult. They don't stand up for workers' rights. They're not sceptical of capitalism. They're not pro-freedom of speech. They're not pro-human rights. It's it's just madness, and it's crazy when you come into contact with these people, and they literally they convince themselves they actually think they're left wing, and the truth is an old school left winger, you know, unionist, politically incorrect, nationalistic. That's I love the old school left. I think that's great, but it's so difficult to find that anymore, really. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And perhaps they'd call themselves centrist. Maybe they wouldn't even call themselves left, but. But I, I don't really believe there's such a thing as centrism. I think it's sort of an aggregate of, of like, you just think progressivism is going a bit far. So someone says drag queen story time. Someone says no, that's evil. And you go, well, we'll have drag time, drag time, drag queen story time once a week. Or so it's like a weird kind of. To me, it's just like that. You just pick a position in between two. Progressivism comes up with something obscene, and you come up with something a bit more moderate that they were probably doing five years ago. To me, it's not a coherent philosophy and. And Dominic Cummings doesn't think it's real either, because as I said on that episode with um, Lawrence Fox, I said that um, actually the average person believes in the NHS and the death penalty yeah, for certain yeah. crimes. So that would be a, an accurate party would run on that. Like, we're going to save, save the NHS, then kill a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great point. That, like, it's, it's just like people's political ideologies are broken, so broken. Because again, and the fact that people speak out against big multinational corporations are called far right. That's all you need to know about the political dynamic. Like, I Yeah, think. although you said you didn't want to be put in a box either, no. so maybe you're a sort of centrist. Well, I'll, I'll class myself as a small L right-wing libertarian. That's, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you've got all your friends have abandoned you. It's such a hard thing to explain to someone and let down the pub. Yeah. I'm a small L classical. What uh, do you say, classical yeah, libertarian? Yeah, so I'm a small L right wing libertarian. What's the small L? So mean? like, I'm not for like laissez faire capitalism, deregulation, but I'm also got big L traits. I'm like pro. I'm open borders, um, but I'm also not welfare state, which is like more left. You know, I'm like I'm, open borders is a big L. <clears throat> yeah, it's a, a big. Uh, it's a big. It's a big F. Um, all right, sorry, just attacked you there at the very end. Um, for being open borders. Oh, that was good though. We, we covered loads of ground. I don't know what this episode was because I just basically end up interviewing you because I'm always just fascinated with people. So, but maybe we could do specific topics in the future. I'm thinking already maybe we should do an Andrew Tate. Oh, one, that'd be great. I'd where you tell, call me a hypocrite <laughs> for an hour. We could do that. We could we do specific topics. Mm-hmm. But um, everyone subscribe to the podcast. Obviously, if you're listening, give it a five star rating. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And there's an episode coming up you're going to love, Rory, which is with Jamie Franklin, who's a based vicar. So everyone should listen out for that one. And go to Rory's channel, The Radical English Gentleman. Could I... Uh, which is yeah, on- sorry, could I say go to Spotify because I try and 
like, I tr- sorry to interrupt. It's because um, like, I never promote a YouTube channel because I get things censored a lot and stuff. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So don't even go. Don't bother, don't, don't your position is don't even yeah. go. Just go to Spotify <laughs> or Apple and you can hear me ranting in my garage there. This could be where you're going wrong, Robbie. Don't go to my <laughs> channel. Go and hear me on an... Obs- well, I was going to say an obscure platform. Spotify is a big mm. platform. Okay, so you get away with more on Spotify. All right, so go to the Radical English Gentleman on Spotify. And current thing, we've got, like I say, that great episode coming up. And we've got... The one with Tanya Red was just out, which was very good. Got another few in the can. And got some great guests coming up. Not even going to tell you, but they, a lot of them are called Andrew, and they're all very good. No way. So um, not Tate, sadly. Not Tate. Yeah. But I've got a couple of other Andrews coming it. up. But um, all right. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you with a normal guest episode next week, I imagine. And or this might come out midweek, so we'll see you soon. Anyway, all right. Cheers, Rory. Mm-hmm.